Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. So one of my favorite things about the Bible is that it has the power to kind of show us a picture of ourselves, right? We open these stories, we read about David, and it's always great when we find ourselves in Scripture, like in these epic tales where we're facing the giant and, you know, we're David and we've got our stones, or we're Moses and there's a Red Sea in front of us, and we can kind of see ourselves in Scripture. And it's a totally different thing when you open up the Scripture and you find yourself in probably what is the lamest character in all of the Bible, I'm serious. And we're going to find ourselves in there today. In John chapter 5, and, and you'll see what I mean. Jesus says this, in, ver- after, in verse 1 it says this, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame. See what I did there? Lame. You guys are slow this morning. Uh, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he'd been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. And Jesus told him, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. Now, as I was preparing this message, the Lord put this question on my heart for me, and it kept resonating with me, and I believe it's the question he has for every single one of us today. And the question is this, are you lying by the pool? Are you lying by the pool? And you might be thinking, what exactly do you mean by that? Of course I was. It was the 4th of July, right? We've all been lying by the pool. I can tell by your tans. Some of you, your burns. But are you lying by the pool? And to illustrate what I mean by this, I want to take you back to the year of 1998. Uh, The fashion basically looks the same as it does right now, so you don't have to imagine too far. But 1998, I'm living in Oklahoma. Pastor Brad and I are just dating. We're working for this ministry there. And I'm starting to discover that he has a passion for vehicles. In fact, in the first, I think, 17 years of our relationship, he had over 18 vehicles. So that gives you a picture. Like, he was passionate. And I was discovering this because it was like a year into our relationship and he was on his third vehicle. But he bought what we would go down in history as probably one of his most legendary vehicles. And it was this GMC Yukon SUV truck, jacked up tire. It was like raised five inches. And it was his pride and joy. Everything he wanted in a car was right here in this vehicle, at least for the next 12 months, and then he'd change his mind. But um, so we're, I remember the first time I begged him to let me drive it. We live in Oklahoma, mind you, and I am driving down the street feeling so cool, and there are people like whistling and honking, and I thought, I must be looking good today, until I realized they were actually whistling at the truck, because people in Oklahoma take their trucks extremely seriously. And Anyway, it was, it was his pride and joy. So I, we're driving in his pride and joy with a group of friends. We decide to take a road trip to Nashville. We go to Nashville. We have an amazing trip. We're driving home. It's late at night, and everyone is getting sleepy. And I take this as my opportunity to get to drive the beloved truck. So I look at Brad. He's kind of sleepy, and I'm like, hey, do you, do you want me to drive? I can drive. I'm totally awake. He's like, okay, that's fine. So he, he lets me drive, and I'm on the road, and we're driving down these 
winding mountain roads and it's late and there's semis flying past us. And I don't know, somewhere with everyone dozing off, I, got, I started to get a little bit nervous. I don't know if you've ever been this, but it was just like this big truck, these big roads, big cliff. And somehow I started to get a little anxious. And right as that happened, a storm blew in and it started a downpour so furious. The rain was coming down. I've never been anything in anything like it since. I could not see in front of my windshield. And in that moment, fear gripped me and I didn't know what to do. I was overwhelmed, everyone was asleep. And so I just stopped right there on the middle of the freeway, <laughs> like stopped the car, put it in park. And I don't know why I did that. It was a terrible idea because um, no one could see. I scream once I stop. He wakes up, Brad wakes up. He's like, what's going on? I'm like, well, I just stopped. I couldn't drive. I couldn't. And he's like, okay, you're not driving ever again, my vehicle. But he hops in the driver's seat, pulls over till the rain stops. And in case you needed to know, we made it safely out of that situation. But this picture, and I'm sure you've been there before in your life, where you're in this place where you can't go forward and you can't go backwards, so you kind of find yourself stuck. And so when I say lying by the pool, are you lying by the pool? I want you to feel that picture of, of really being paralyzed on your mat, not knowing how to move forward, not knowing how to move backwards. Maybe it's been a season when you've had a big decision to make and you just don't know what the right choice is. So you just think I'll make no choice. And I should let you know this, no decision is actually still making a decision. I just, I want you to know that. When I stopped my car on the road, I was making a decision and not a smart one. So we come to these places, a decision to make, maybe a cycle that you feel like, I just can't break this cycle, so I find myself over and over and over again, right back here, and I'm literally stuck. Or maybe like me, a some situation comes out of nowhere and a storm hits, and you have no idea what's ahead. But we get to these places where we find ourselves paralyzed, lying on our mat, much like this man lying by the pool. And I believe today God wants to speak to those stuck places in our lives, our patterns of thinking that are trapping us there, our addictions, hurt or pain, whatever it is that, that really has got us on our mat lying by the pool, he's here today, just like he was on that day with that man at the pool of Bethesda. He's here in power. And I believe today is a day where we can get up and step away from the pool. Some of you might be sitting here thinking, actually, I'm not stuck. I'm crushing it at life. I am winning. My job is amazing. I have everything I think I want. And that may be the case, but before you tune out and Think about who you're going to share this podcast with tomorrow because they need it really bad. I want you to get out a piece of paper, a pen, your notes on your phone. I want you to write these six words down. So I'll wait while you get... You got it? Okay, you're already taking notes. Great. These six words are going to seem familiar, but they're really the pillars that we talk about a lot in this house. And I want you to write down physical, spiritual, emotional, relational, professional, and in parentheses, you can put your calling, and financial. And these six areas really represent a holistic picture of our lives. And the reality is this. You can be crushing it in one area, moving forward, making gains, making strides, 
and still be lying on the pool in another area of your life. It is very possible to have an incredible um, financial life and have a terrible relational life. Does anyone believe me? Yeah, it's very possible. It's possible to be winning at your job and spiritually stuck. And so as we look throughout this passage and as we look a little bit deeper, I don't want you to just think surface level. I want you to look in these six areas of your life and almost as if the Lord was shining a flashlight in every area, I want you to see, is there a place that you may have been really found yourself paralyzed, lying on the mat by the pool? And I believe he wants to speak to those areas because the enemy wants to work so hard to keep you and I on our mat. He does. And the reason why is because if we're lying on our mat by the pool, he's taking us out of the race. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says this, Don't you realize you're in a race? Everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. The enemy knows the longer he can keep us on our mat, the longer he can keep us out of the race. And so it's important for us to shine the light and see, God, where might I be stuck? Where might I be paralyzed? And the same Jesus that showed up at the pool that day is here today to unstuck us from our mat, to reach out, grab us, and help us walk away from the pool. And I believe there's three, three things we need to look at if we're going to do that. And the first one is, why are you even at the pool? Why are you at the pool? And there's a couple things I believe the Lord's highlighting, and the very first one is disappointment. Disappointment has the power to paralyze us and keep us by the pool. When you think about this man, for 38 years he's been coming to this pool, paralyzed for 38 years. And I wonder how many days he got up and thought, today is the day I'm going to get to that pool. I'm going to be the first person in the water. I know today I'm going to walk out different. And yet every day, year after year, decade after decade, he gets his hopes up and he leaves exactly the way he came. Disappointment is a powerful thing. And the reality is this, if we're putting our hope in people or circumstances, it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when we'll be disappointed. And so maybe you find yourself hoping that this relationship will be different than the last. Or this job's really going to bring you the financial f- freedom that you've been waiting for. And we put our hope in these things and we find disappointment comes. Moses experienced this in his life. If you think about Moses and how he was born, it was a miraculous beginning. He was supposed to be dead, but his mom put him in a basket, sends him down the river. He gets raised in Pharaoh's home, the finest education. But I can't help but think that maybe all along he had this sense that there was a greater purpose for his life, that he was saved and rescued for a reason. And the Bible in Acts tells us this very fact. It says, um, In Acts chapter 7, when Moses was 40 years old, and I would like to note that that is not that old, just for the record. Thank you. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought 
that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. He goes back to his people because he has this, this underlying knowing that he's called to rescue them. And you know who put that in his heart? God did. A purpose that wasn't quite ready yet to be fulfilled. And God put it in his heart. So he goes to his people and things do not go the way he thought they would. And the rescuer that he thought they'd see, they couldn't see it. So what does Moses do? He gets down on his mat and lies by the pool for 40 years. For 40 years, he stays right there in that place of disappointment and just hides out in the wilderness. Until one day, God meets him in a burning bush and starts to call him out as a leader. And at that point, Moses has been paralyzed so long, his identity is so crushed, and he doesn't see himself as a leader. He doesn't see the purpose. He doesn't even think he can do anything for God. In fact, Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? See, disappointment caused Moses to question his very identity. And it'll do the same for you and I. When we put our hope in people and circumstances, it's not a matter of if, but when we will be disappointed. And disappointment, if you let it, has the power to keep you on your mat, lying by the pool for a long, long time. But the good news is this. God's purpose for you is not dependent on whether or not someone else sees it. It's not. The circumstances in our life do not change his purpose for our life. So we have to fight against letting disappointment keep us paralyzed, lying by the pool. So disappointment. The second thing is disobedience. Disobedience. This guy has a mindset that's really kind of lame, if you will. As we read this passage, um, he's like a chronic blame shifter he is a, um, he's a victim. He has a victim mentality. As you read through the passage, Jesus comes up to him. He says, why haven't you gotten, the, why do you want to be made well? And he makes an excuse that no one can get him in the pool. And then Jesus heals him. And then the religious leaders come and they're questioning him as to why he's carrying his mat on the Sabbath. Because that's work and you're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath. And rather than celebrating what Jesus had done, he throws Jesus under the bus. And he's like, well, this guy told me to get up and take my mat. So I did it. He's kind of lame. He's kind of got this thinking that's really not lining up with the thinking God designed us to have. And the reality is, that's you and I, right? How many times do we get into the trouble because we think we know? I can tell you that every horrible decision I've ever made started with me saying the words, well, I think we should do this. And a mindset of trust in who God is and what he says is a mindset of obedience. And our own thinking and our own way of living and making choices that we think are right and we think are best without following the path that God has for us, that disobedient mindset will keep us stuck on our mat lying by the pool. It happened to Moses and the Israelites. So finally Moses decides he's going to do what God called him to do. He takes them out of Egypt. They're wandering through the wilderness, headed towards the promised land that God had promised. And God says, I've got a land for you. It's flowing with milk. It's flowing with honey. It's everything I promised. So send some spies, check it out because that's your land. So they send people in and the 12 spies come back 
And all but two of them decide not only were they unable, they were unwilling to go in and take the land. They didn't see the promise. They saw what they thought. We can't handle it. We can't do it. And so rather than agreeing with God's mindset for them, they decided to live out of their own mindset. And do you know what God says? He's sort of offended by this. In fact, he says in Numbers 14, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. So an entire generation wanders in the wilderness for 38 more years. Do you see the pattern of 38 years? Their disobedience caused them to be stuck by the pool for 38 more years. They never got to see the promised land because of their disobedience. So whatever the force behind our, I'm going to call it our mat mindset, the, the thinking that we think we know more than what God says, that mat mindset, whether it's insecurity, whether it's fear, whatever is driving us to that way of thinking, that way of thinking is going to keep us on our mat. Jesus told the paralyzed man, he healed him. The guy was just going on, still bus chucking Jesus, still living out of that same mindset. Jesus tracks him down in the temple a little bit later and he says, hey dude, like I just need to let you know, you need to change this way of thinking. You need to stop sinning because you're gonna find yourself worse off than you were now. Not because God's gonna throw this on him, but because living a life of disobedience leads to us living a life on a mat by the pool disappointment, disobedience, and the third one is distraction. One of the coolest and most profound things Jesus does in scripture is that he's always asking questions that seem so obvious, right? And he does it in this passage. He comes up to the man and he says, hey, do you want to be made well? Well, yes, of course, Jesus. I want to be made well. I've been coming here every day for 38 years. I want to be made well. That's a little obvious, and the reality is what Jesus is doing by asking him that question is actually way deeper. See, this guy's been stuck in a pattern of thinking. He's been looking to this pool for 38 years. This pool has been his hope of healing. This pool has been his hope of freedom. This pool has been his ticket back to a normal life, being able to be out in society. And he has been looking at this pool for 38 years. And when Jesus asked him the question, do you want to be made well? I think it was so much more about the man taking his attention off the pool and fixing it onto Jesus. Because there are so many things the enemy loves to throw our way that are almost a pseudo power. We think money is the answer. We think if I can just make this amount of money, if I can just move to this neighborhood, if I can just have this type of relationship, and we have, if I could just have this much power in my job, if I had more authority, if I had all these things, and we are staring at the pool, and the enemy has thrown us a pseudo power. And Jesus has to walk into the situation in our lives and say, hey, 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 you're looking at, not only are you looking at it wrong, you are looking at the wrong thing. So Jesus walks in and he shifts his gaze with that question and he, he takes his distracted mindset that this pool is his answer and he brings it to Jesus. He brings it to Jesus. So I really don't care what got us to the pool in the different areas of our life. It might be disappointment, it might be disobedience, it might be all of the above, it might be distraction. But I really believe he's here today 
And I believe that he wants you and I to take a step away from the pool. And, and the way that we're going to do that is with our second point, which is number, which is number two, stop looking at the pool. Stop looking at the pool. You and I have got to stop looking at the pseudo powers in our lives that the enemy puts in to be our answer. And we need to turn our attention to the answer. I got this picture of as, as a church at large, as the body of Christ at large, so often we kind of just think life is meant to be this like cloud floating like Following Jesus it should be great. Like, we should just be floating on clouds and lying out by the pool, almost like the W on the 4th of July. You know the scene I'm talking about. We've just got the body of Christ gathered around, lying by the pool. Jesus is our cabana boy. He's bringing us whatever we want, whatever we think we need. And I feel that he's calling each one of us collectively and individually and saying, this is not what I've called you to. We just read what he called us to. It's a race. And so many of us are sidelined on our mats, lying by the pool, paralyzed by all of these different reasons. And he's saying, we've got to stop looking at the pool and start fixing our eyes on the only way to win this race. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. We've got to stop looking to the pool and fix our eyes on Jesus. Because that's the only way we're going to make it when disappointment comes. That's the only way we're going to make it when discouragement comes or the storms hit is if our eyes are fixed on the only thing that can get us through and cause us to persevere. Are you lying by the pool? You thought the lying by the pool was going to be a fun summer message, didn't you? I'm so sorry. It's not. It's time to get up. Today's the day. I love this beautiful picture of Jesus because he is not moved by this man's brokenness. And the reality is this. There is no dysfunction too great that he's not willing to walk in to the middle of it and help us get up. This pool of Bethesda was out of the way. They were all there in Jerusalem for this big festival, and all of the upstanding Jews, all of the righteous people were there doing exactly what they're supposed to do, making their sacrifices, doing all these things. And Jesus, this, this pool is up in the northeast corner. It's not on the beaten path. He goes there not by accident. He didn't go with a bunch of his disciples. He didn't have a bunch of people following him. He beelines to this exact point where the most dysfunctional, the most broken, the most diseased people were just waiting, lying around, hoping for something different. No upstanding Jew would ever go there. Why? Because who wants to see all those, it's like sad and people are hurting and ugh, just too much. Or they'd be worried that they were going to catch something because, and become ceremonially unclean because they went where all the dirty, broken people were. But Jesus walks right into the middle of their dysfunction. And he doesn't just pick anybody. I believe he picked the guy that was probably there the longest. 
the toughest case, the most messed up, and he stands in front of him and says, do you want to be made well? Because if you do, you need to stop looking at that pool and you need to turn your eyes to me. And I believe he's here today saying the exact same thing. I don't care how dysfunctional it is. I don't care how messy it is. I don't care because it's time to get up. Came here today to tell you it's time to get up and stop lying by the pool. Do you, not, do you want to be made well? We have to fix our eyes on Jesus. He's here. And the third thing we have to do is step away from the pool. Once he's got our attention, the funny thing is he says to this guy something that seems kind of crazy. He comes to him, he says, do you want to be made well? The guy's like, well, I can't. And then Jesus says this, well, take up your bed, get up and walk. Well, obviously, if the guy could do that, he would have done that, right? It's an impossible thing for him to do. It has been. But there was a moment that he had to believe and take a step. The Bible doesn't tell us when the healing happened in his body. Regardless, there was a moment when he had to struggle and put weight on legs that hadn't felt weight for 40 years. There was a moment that he had to bend down and move in a way that he had never moved before and it was uncomfortable and I'm sure it wasn't easy. And he had to take a step, one foot in front of the other, something he had never done away from that pool. We have to step away from the pool and in order to do that, Jesus is going to be in our situation. We have to fix our eyes on him and he's going to tell us to do something. And it might seem impossible. There might be something he's asking you to do to step away from your mat and away from the pool that seems really hard. But it's in the obedience that we find his power. Every step of obedience is a step away from the pool. I found myself kind of in one of these situations pretty recently. And I couldn't quite figure out why things felt weird. I was reading my Bible. I was having quiet time. I was doing all these things that, that are just life, and it was good and fine, but there was just something that felt off, and I couldn't put my finger on it. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I just felt kind of paralyzed on my mat by the pool. And I, I took it to the Lord. I was sitting on the couch in my house. It was early in the morning. I got up with my Bible, and I was just like, God, I don't know, like, I don't know what's happening. And he said, well, I do. I was like, well, I'd like for you to share. And you should know that I'm, this is who I am. When I was 10 years old, I found my baby book in my closet and I sat on my bed and I'll never forget this. I'm reading like the things my parents wrote to me and when I took my first steps and I am just weeping because time is going by so fast. I'm 10, okay? That's who I am. And I just remember growing up with this sense that I wanted my life to count. I didn't want to waste a day. I wanted to live in the moment and I wanted to, um, I wanted to not miss a thing because it's just who I was at 10 years old. And just a couple of years later, I'm still that same person. And so I'm sitting on the couch and I'm like, Lord, I just don't know. And he said, well, I know. And so he used the most obvious example, which I'm sure you guys all are thinking right now, the one that would really get to me, the NBA. That's how he speaks to me. Because he knows how many seasons I spent watching every single Suns game, 
all season long and then having my heart disappointed. Talk about disappointment. Anyway, but he showed me this picture of all those times I would be watching games. And it was like I was so hopeful and so excited and so enjoying the game. And Steve Nash was like the bomb. No one says the bomb anymore, but you get it. Steve Nash was awesome. And so I would enjoy it. I would be in it. And then somewhere along about the third quarter, middle of the third quarter, something would happen. And I would switch my attention from really enjoying the game, the three-pointers and all that stuff, to looking at the clock. And I remember thinking, oh no, like we're kind of behind. I'm not sure if we're going to do it. We're running out of time. Like every shot matters. Every, like, oh no, we have this many minutes left. And, and it was this weird thing that would happen as I'd watch the game where I would take myself from enjoying the game to just my eyes would be fixed on that clock. And as I was sitting on the couch talking about this with the Lord, he's like, that's what you're doing. You've just, you've taken your gaze and you've put it on the clock and it's paralyzing you. And at that exact moment, my nine-year-old son, he wakes up, crawls over to me, walks out of his room, comes over to me, and he gives me a hug. He's probably about to whisper, Mom, can I play Fortnite? For sure he was. But I just held him for a second. And as I held him, tears just started to flow because it really hit me like, I've been missing out. And he sat back and he saw my tears and he was like, Mom, why are you crying? Like, this is random. You're crying at six in the morning. <laughs> Buddy, it's okay. I just, time has just been going by so fast and I just love you so much. You guys are getting so big and it has nothing to do with a large birthday that just happened. It's fine. Everything's fine. But he takes his little hands and he cups my cheeks and he looks at me and he goes, but mom, don't you realize We've almost been together for 10 years. And in that moment, it was like my gaze went from the clock, the pool, whatever, to everything God has for me today. And I believe he's here today to kind of take us each by the face and say, do you want, do you want to be made well? Are you ready to step away from this pool? I'm gonna need you to fix your eyes on me. And we're gonna do something and it may be hard. And he's gonna speak a step that you have to take. And every step of obedience is a step away from the pool. So in just a moment, we're gonna, I don't know, I just feel in my heart that I want us to give God some time to speak to us. So we're gonna just take about 30 seconds to really listen in. And when we do, I want, I want you to be thinking about these three questions. Number one, and you can write them down, but I just want these to be resounding in your heart. Am I lying by the pool? Am I paralyzed in any one of these areas? Number two, am I looking to the pool? Am I, is my gaze fixed on something other than him? And number three, am I ready to walk away? I believe God is here today to speak to all three to answer those questions in your heart. I believe he's here and he wants to free you from any area that has you out of the game, out of the race, lying on your mat by the pool. And he wants to illuminate in your heart today what you need. So we're going to ask him to do that. 
And some of you may be sitting here and you're like, I already know what I need to do and now I just need to do it. And it may seem impossible. And I really sensed in my heart that this weekend, there's forgiveness that needs to happen in someone's life. And that unforgiveness and that disappointment and that fact that you've been, feels like sitting by the pool for so long and it seems like everyone else has gotten free and you're the last person sitting by the pool and so you've resigned yourself to the fact that you're just never gonna trust people again. Or you're just not gonna be that kind of person, that church-going person. Or the marrying kind, that's not you. And some of you have been here so long, you've just decided the crippled way of life is just how it is and you're okay with that. You're just gonna sit by the pool and just let it happen. I believe he's here today to say no, no more. It's time to step away from the pool. So let's bow our heads and just let him speak. Close our eyes. God, would you speak to our hearts in these moments? Would you speak to our hearts today? for the fact that you're here. You're such a good God. There's no, no length that you wouldn't go to to reach us, God. There's no dysfunction or brokenness in our hearts and our lives that's too big or too much for you and that Jesus, you didn't already pay the price for on the cross. Thank you, Father that your miracle working power is here right now in this place to heal, to mend, to bring life to every person in this place, God. We wanna take a step, speak. We wanna obey you, Father. We want your mindset and we love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.